0: Thank you, Cairo and Charlotte. That was beautiful and appropriate. Did you guys have that ready, or did you know we were doing Psalm seventy? That's pretty awesome. The the wonderful ministry of the Lord. We're in Genesis chapter thirty-nine. I'm titling this like mini series within Genesis, um, the saga of Joseph. And uh, this uh, particular one is, is called "The Lord Was With Him." So, <clears throat> today we will conclude the service with a blessing. We'll do it from 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. It will say, "The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all." And you will be called by God to receive that blessing by faith. Jesus Christ declared to his disciples that he would be with them even to the end of the age. So really the question today as we begin is, what does it mean for the triune God to be with you? and What difference will that make in your life? In this passage, we will hear many times that Joseph was uh, given success, and so we will also be dealing with what is the connection between the Lord being with us and success. When things are going well, does that mean that the Lord is with us? And when things are going badly, does that mean that the Lord is no longer with us? And what sort of success should we expect anyway? What are God's goals for our life? There are four times in Genesis 39 that the Lord, we are told that the Lord was with him concerning Joseph. And even though that clearly the Lord has been with his people throughout the book of Genesis, this is the first time in the book of Genesis, that this statement has been repeatedly stated. I think the only other time that it says this is that God was with Ishmael. So Joseph's life, and particularly chapter 39, is a model to instruct us, trying to understand what does it mean that God is with us. In some ways, he is a a model of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that particularly towards the end of this, this sermon. But he is a model to you because the same statement that God is with you is the one that was made of Joseph. If you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation been washed in the blood of Christ, clinging to the rock of Christ, then it is true that God is with you. And you are to live each day with that assurance. We last saw Joseph being sold into slavery. And so we pick up in chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt... And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. So the first thing to understand is that Joseph is no longer in control of his life. The text says that he has been brought down to Egypt. And that's that's there to be more than just geographically southward, he has been plunged into servitude and suffering. He happens to be sold into the house of a very powerful man in Egypt. He is the captain of the guard, an officer of Pharaoh himself. When I spoke, I can't remember which Graybill girl it was yesterday. I told him what I was preaching on today. She said, I said, yeah, it's Joseph. He's going to go down to Egypt. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, he's going to get back up and he's going to be ruler. You know, like it was like, boom, boom. And it's, uh, we, often, we often do this in our minds, right? Oh, yeah, the Joseph story, I know that. Yeah, he goes down to Egypt and he becomes ruler, right? You know, and so it's easy to pass over the downward uh, slide like it's just a matter of a second. Uh, this period in, in Joseph's life will last 12 years. He will either be, either be a slave or a prisoner for 12 years. Um." We don't want to pass over the downward uh, humiliation of Joseph too quickly. We do know that he will be exalted. But we don't want to minimize what he felt during this period. You also don't want to forget that, that the Lord had given Joseph a dream. And in that dream, Joseph would rule and his brothers would bow down to him. That dream affects the way Joseph thinks about life as well. It would have raised his expectations. And so at this point, when he is being sold into slavery, his expectations for what God would do in his life are being crushed at this moment. He's also been included in the promise given to Abraham. We'll see that in a moment as well. But I bet that that promise given to Abraham seems a far distance from him at this moment. Joseph would have surely had doubts and questions. How could this possibly come to fulfillment? He was in this moment powerless, he was helpless, he was not in control of his life. And at this moment, we hear the statement, the Lord was with him. Now, it's very important to also tell you that we have this statement in Scripture. The Lord did not appear to Joseph at this time. Would that have been nice? God did that many times in the past, right? But in this situation, there's no no angel that shows up. It's okay, Joseph, things, things are okay. God's with you. This is what's going to happen. There's nothing. He is in darkness. We as readers are told this by the narrator because we know the rest of the story. But there was no divine revelation to Joseph about this. Let's go on then, verses 2 through 5. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From from the time that he made him overseer in the house, and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in field. So what is the result of Joseph or the Lord being with Joseph? What's the the text tell us is the immediate uh, result of that? It is that the Lord gave Joseph success. Now we're not exactly told what that success was. But there's no doubt about it that Joseph was advancing. He was was personally in his experience, things were getting better for him. And I do believe that this is part of the reason why we as people have a tendency to think that when things are going well, God is with us. And when things are not going well, God's not with us. You know, if you fall in love, God's with me. If you're able to land the job of your dreams, God's with me. If you do good on that test, God's with me. If you're healthy, God's with me. All of those things. In this situation, there is a connection between God being with Joseph and his success. I want you to hold on to that. We're going to, have to going to have to develop that as time goes on in this chapter. <clears throat> Generally speaking, I put that in quotes, generally speaking, when good things happen to you, you should be thankful to God for them because he has given them to you. The good gifts should be received with thanksgiving. And in this text, Joseph must have some way acknowledged Yahweh's goodness to him as he was experiencing these little successes. Because otherwise, how would the Egyptian master be able to give credit to Yahweh? He could have given credit to his own God. He could have given credit to luck, to whatever he wanted he he could have given credit to. And yet in this situation, the master looks at what's going on with Joseph, and he concludes Joseph's God must be blessing him. And because he makes this connection, Joseph found favor in his sight. Now, it's important to understand here that even though Joseph is finding favor with his master, the master doesn't release Joseph. You know, if, if, if ideally at this point, would you not want Potiphar to see how God was blessing Joseph and say, hey, can I adopt your God as my God? That might be what you'd really like to see happen. I'm sure that if I was Joseph, that's what I would have liked to have had happen. I would have wanted at least some more freedom, some more independence. But this was not God's plan for Joseph. Instead, Joseph finds favor. That's a good thing. But it's not everything that Joseph would have wanted. Joseph is put in charge of the entire household. He is made an overseer. That's going to be important as well as we move forward. And Potiphar trusts Joseph. He gives him this confidence and this uh, responsibility and trust. And Joseph takes that and he uses it well. He doesn't doesn't try to uh, uh, take advantage of this. Now, if you don't know this right now, there, Potiphar's, it's, the text tells us that Potiphar's house is blessed because he's put Joseph over him. This is a direct outworking of God's promise to Abraham. God had said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, those who bless you, I will bless so this is a direct result of this. This is what's happening. But I would tell you that this is not the way I would be excited about this. I'd be like, give me my freedom. <laughs> this, you know, you're starting to feel hopeful. You're starting to see the darkness, uh, the clouds dissipating, but it's not everything that you would want. And this is a, a situation where Joseph is an incredibly good model for us today. He is willing to work hard for the good of his master. And you here today may not be a slave, but you have people that you work for. And even if they are unbelievers, we should work hard for them. And because we are in their companies, we should expect God to in some way bless that company. We at least should not be surprised when God blesses them. Joseph is a trustworthy servant, even to his unbelieving master. And I can can just hear uh, the images of Joseph as Paul exhorts the Colossians. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Down in 39 verse 6. So he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And at this point, we would be thinking, what could possibly go wrong? Joseph has found favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Joseph is not doing anything to jeopardize that. He is being faithful. He is being loyal to his master. And we know that the Lord was with Joseph. So what could happen that would be wrong? Certainly God would not let his obedient child not be further experiencing of success. Wrong. This is where we begin to see that this this connection between the Lord being with you and our immediate temporal success, it needs to be further explored because it seems now that Joseph in his obedience, will actually be further taken down. Verse 6b, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, the Bible is usually purposeful when they give you this kind of language. Do you guys remember anyone else in the Bible that was beautiful in form and appearance? Maybe David, yes. I was thinking in Genesis. Good, good job. Rachel, okay, Uh, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, Joseph's being handsome, again, I'll use this term, generally speaking, is a good thing. I am quite certain that Adam, when he was created, was beautiful in form and appearance. But since the fall, good things may have drawbacks, For one, Joseph probably would not have caught the eye of Potiphar's wife if he wasn't so handsome. Her attraction to Joseph was not combined with any true love for Joseph, but that strong outward beauty has the effect of mesmerizing her. It's not that anything wrong with his former appearance. It's a good thing. But it can have its problems in this fallen world. We can turn beauty into an idol. Let's pick up in verse 7. And after that time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, "'Lie with me,' but he refused.' But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, "'Lie with me!' But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house." Again, we see Joseph doing the right things. He refuses her initial advance. He even gives her reasoning for this. Now, I found it maybe a subtle, I don't want to read into the text, but it is interesting that he, he says, he does not say, I have no interest in you. Instead, he focuses on his loyalty and trust that his master has given to him. And he focuses on his devotion to God. At this moment, when he, when he initially tells her no, if she cared anything for her husband or for Joseph, she would have left him alone. Instead, she finds subtle ways to allure him day after day. It says that he does not hear her or listen to her words. That does not mean that he didn't actually physically hear them, but he actually chose to not act upon them. Selfish love, this is an important, selfish love spurned over time can turn to malice. And that's exactly what occurs in Potiphar's wife. She waits for the perfect setting. Joseph, he is a slave, he's got to do things, he's doing his duties. He's alone in the house. She makes an aggressive pass. And I can imagine Joseph fighting off her advance. And as he starts to turn to walk away from her, she grabs his robe and rather than fighting to get it back he just leaves it and Joseph does what is right and honorable in this moment but his actions his actions will have terrible consequences now Joseph could not foresee those consequences had he foreseen them he probably would have made more of an effort to keep that robe I think this is also where we get in the New Testament when they say flee sexual immorality. Probably thinking about Joseph. But there's more to Joseph's actions and to Joseph's story than just his fleeing sexual immorality. God is trying to teach Joseph and you and I what it means that he is with us. If Joseph had had his heart set on success, he would have acted very differently. He may have sought a way to use Potiphar's wife's attraction to his own benefit. Maybe I can parlay this into something beneficial for me. Get my freedom. He had to know that resisting her over time would not end well. He might have actually gone to Potiphar and subtly said, Sir, there's things going on here and I need to get out of this situation. He might have done that as well. But Joseph does not scheme to ensure his own success. And I'm telling you, this is as refreshing as the fact that he flees the temptation. You see, how many of our choices are motivated by our desire to gain success in one way or another? Jesus did say, you cannot love God and mammon. Meaning, you usually translate that money, but I would translate it, the success of this life. Joseph is thinking about his God. He's thinking about loyalty to his God. He's thinking about his master more than he is thinking about personal success. And I'm like, because oh. I'm not always like Joseph. In order to love God, Joseph had to be willing to care less about being in control of his success. You see, Joseph's future was not really in his hands at all, was it? We often fall into the trap and say that if we're smart enough, if we're crafty enough, if we're wise enough, if we can foresee negative consequences enough, look into the future enough, then somehow we can attain success. And if somebody else falls out of success, how often do we immediately say, well, if they could have only done this, if you could only have done that, if you could have only been wise enough to do this, then you wouldn't have had this problem, would you? Sometimes we do bear the results of our own foolishness. But I want you to know today that your success or not success, whatever's going on in your life, is not necessarily in your control. Joseph does what is right, rather than what is calculated to bring him success. Let's continue the story. Beginning in verse 13. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought us, brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home and said, She told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. Now this story could be repeated many times throughout history. Unfortunately, a lot of times sexual crimes are committed where there's no witness to uh, verify the story. The only concrete part, evidence, that we have is Joseph's robe. Isn't that ironic? Was it not a robe earlier that was a part of Joseph's destiny? She plays up Joseph being a Hebrew. Now at this point, a Hebrew is basically saying like a nobody. Because remember, there's only a few Hebrews at this time, right? There's not many of them. But I think she plays her story too strongly. She claims that Joseph intended to laugh at her. And I think the idea of laugh here is one of that Joseph intended to to in some way dominate her. And we're told that as soon as Potiphar heard her words, he was angry. But notice the text does not tell you who or what he was angry at. Just told that he was angry. I think there's at least a glimmer of thought, some evidence in this text, that he's just mad that his great talisman is being lost. I think he may have even had some doubts about his wife. He knows Joseph has been loyal to him. Why would Joseph do this? But notice there is no trial that takes place. Sorry, lawyers. There couldn't be a trial. For Joseph to even, I mean, for Potiphar to even demand a trial would look terrible. To not take the, your story of your wife as opposed to your slave? Potiphar's in a pickle. He knows that he has to take the story of his wife, and he has to put Joseph in prison. He could have killed Joseph. Nobody would have said a thing. He could have put Joseph in a, like, a, a low-down slum prison. But where does he put Joseph? He puts him in the same prison where political prisoners, king's prisoners go? I'm thinking that Potiphar maybe was not entirely convinced of his wife's story. Verse 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He was there in prison. Now just when he thought things were looking up, the Lord was with him, things were good. Good. Crashing down. He has obeyed God. And he's in prison. How would you feel if you were unjustly accused of rape and thrown into prison? Would you doubt that God was with you? I would. It seems to me that for far less substantial reasons... I doubt the presence of God with me. And so we don't want to just make this connection between personal success and the Lord being with us too tightly because the Lord is with Joseph right now as he is being unjustly accused and thrown into prison. And we know this because this, the narrator tells us again, Verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So here's here's our key. Rather than momentary circumstances, our hearts need to be set on steadfast love. Now if you understand this word steadfast love is said. it's God's covenant love it's it's there because God has entered into a covenant with his people and he will be steadfast the very word steadfast means unwavering it's not fickle it's not he's with you and not with you he's with you he's not with you it's like an immovable boulder thanks to Danny for choosing uh on Christ the salt not uh rock of ages that's why I got the wrong song in my head rock of ages Because the steadfast love of God is what helps you when you're going through the storms of life. Are you at a a bad stage? Are you at a good stage? Wherever you are, the steadfast, immovable rock of God's love is what holds you. It's not even, and this this is important, it's not even that Joseph felt the presence of God. Now, that's a good prayer to pray for people, by the way you know, somebody's going through a hard time, pray that they can sense God's presence. Because God's presence is there. But some, they need to be able to feel that presence. And that's a good prayer. But, but it's not even that Joseph felt the presence of the Lord. It was just the fact that he was there. This is the point of this story. And this is what you need to draw from it in me. I went through this week struggling with this, believing. As often as you deal with the sermon afterwards, I deal with it beforehand. I'm like, Lord, sometimes I wonder where he is. Now, Joseph's situation, again, the steadfast love, again, results in Joseph gaining favor in the eyes of the keeper of the prison. So you can't just throw success out and say, well, uh, you know, the Lord being with you means defeat. No, it can't mean that, right? It has to in some sense mean success. It has to in some sense be that way. But it's not this worldly temporal success. We might ask the question, if God was so intent on blessing Joseph, why would he even allow him to be sent in prison? But here's another little key to this. Asking why... Is not always a good thing. It's far better, even during the times of darkness, to cling to the promises of God, His abiding presence, and His steadfast love, than to know why. 22 and 23. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge. Of all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Now this chapter is it, it, it's in the saga, it's in the middle of the saga of Joseph. It leaves us hanging. There are really two more chapters in this portion of the saga. Uh, and we're stopping right in the middle. But we have, to, we have to have some sort of concluding lessons for you today, right? We can't just leave you hanging, say come back next week and we'll make some applications. The first thing that I would draw, our confidence that God is with us cannot be based in the success of our present circumstances. Success in this life is always mixed. God is giving Joseph success, but that success is mixed with terrible disappointments. It's part of the reason why it's hard to be a pastor. I can go right into one, one member of the church who's getting married or having a baby or some wonderful thing, and then the next moment you're with someone who's facing death and in hospital or some terrible sin or disappointment and divorce. and This life is just hard, and it's always mixed. Secondly, we are called to pursue righteousness and obedience rather than success. Being faithful may lead to present success, but it may not. And either way, our heart must be set upon God's abiding presence. We are called to trust in God's sovereign hand. Faith believes in God's ultimate blessing, even when obedience lands you in the prisons of this life. That's why we did Psalm 73. Often, your obedience does not result in what you had hoped for. And it's okay. Okay. Thirdly, and this is very important, although we can be hurt by the sinfulness of others, no one can separate us from the love of Christ. Did you hear that? It's another thing I deal with often, is very wicked and selfish people hurting God's people. I can't stop that. And it seems like I want to stop it. I want to fix it. I want to get rid of those things. And yet, ultimately, we have to trust in God's steadfast love. Potiphar's wife hurts Joseph. Peter did some reading. (laughs) He's like, if you read uh, Dante's Inferno... She's down in like the eighth level of hell for this. She hurts Joseph. He's in prison for years because of her actions. But Potiphar's wife does not ruin God's plan for his life. What is God's plan? Well, it can't just be temporal happiness because it did ruin his temporal happiness. If God's intention was just to make Joseph as happy as he could possibly be, God fails miserably. Of course, God is doing things in terms of sanctification in Joseph's heart. How cool is it God knows he's going to take Joseph and make him ruler of the land of Egypt. Where does Joseph learn his training on how to rule? As a slave and as a prisoner. Is that not cool? He probably thought, this is wasted time. And God's saying, I got you in the best training place I could put you. Not only are you learning how to rule, but you're being humbled at the same time. And guess what? Joseph was an arrogant little kid. He needed some humbling. You may have thought through your own disobedience that you've ruined years of your life. You may have thought that other people have ruined years of your life. You may have thought that that this, you know, what do I have to offer? I'm telling you that the word of God tells you God's plan for you is not thwarted. We have our own ideas of what is significant, what will make our life significant. And often God crushes our ideas. But at the same time, your life is significant. God is continuing to fulfill his plans for you. The fourth point is Joseph points us to Christ. Joseph's past the glory goes down before it goes up. Down, 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 then up. He is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Jesus left the, the glories of heaven. He goes down. Even as a baby, he was carrying down to Egypt, identifying with his people He was not put in a pit or a prison, but he did hang on a cross and he was obedient to the point of death and so became the source of your eternal salvation. You see, the very fact that he goes down before he comes up, all of your hope of being brought out of the pit of your own sin comes from the fact that Jesus went down there with you. He bore your sins. And so, as he rises up, he is bringing us with him. He is why we can say there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because it is his willing, his obedience, his sacrifice that brings to us God's presence, not in wrath, but His saving presence, which is what we really need. Let me ask you this: Do you think Joseph had any clue? That his life was a foreshadow of what Christ did? I don't think he knew that. We're reading stories today about Joseph. And he probably had no clue that that's going on. He's sitting up there going, really? I had no idea. There will not be chapters in the Bible written about you. But your life is being used by God to point others to Jesus. You see, you're following the same path that Jesus uh, went. He went from down to up. You do the same thing. That's how people see Christ. They see you going down, knowing that you're going to be brought back up again. That's you demonstrating to the world, not just that you go a life of ease like a Like in uh, New Zealand, right? That's the idea. Everyone happy in New Zealand, right? It's not that. No, as Christians, we go through the same path that Jesus went so that the world can see that this is the true path to glory. It's impossible to know why God chooses your particular sufferings. I look out at you and you all have different ones. You don't have the same ones, but they're all there. But he chose them specifically. He chose your path. He's using your path for his glory. His abiding presence and his steadfast love, that's what we cling to to pull us up to glory. And that's why at the end of this service, I will be giving you the blessing that the Lord is with you. That's what's so awesome. That we have our God with us. Amen. As Ken gets ready to sing this final hymn, we don't often do our final hymn from the Psalter. But this was just too good. It is good. Um, and this is this is. Maybe just a little instruction to you on why we do sing psalms. Um, I'm not sure that I would have been able to understand what was the big picture point of Genesis 39 if there wasn't Psalm 105 to direct me to what was the point. This is basically a commentary on God's steadfast love, and he uses Joseph to do it. So, go ahead, Ken.
1: Psalm 105 and your Psalter, let's rise together. I'll, I'll direct us as we go through the verses. Oh, thank the Lord on his name, call his deeds, tell people's all. Oh, sing to him, sing psalms to him. His wonders all recall. Let hearts that seek the Lord rejoice, His holy name adore. O oh, seek Jehovah and His strength, His face seek evermore. Skip to verse 8. A thousand ages to endure commanded he his word. With Abram made a covenant the promise Isaac heard. A law to Jacob he confirmed a bond for Israel. I will to you give Canaan's land, where you as heir may dwell. When few in number, scarcely known, they sojourned in the land. A restless wandering band He let unhurt them For their sakes To kings he gave alarm Touch not my own anointed ones and do my prophets harm When he Brought famine on the land, and broke their staff of bread. The Joseph they sold as a slave, he had set on a head. His feet they hurt with fetters strong, and him in irons did bind. Till what He prophesied came true, the Lord's word Him refined. Verse forty-two, His holy promise He recalled. How Abraham served Him long, <clears throat> He led His people forth with joy. Is chosen ones with song. The nations' lands, the peoples' toil, He gave them for their own. That they should keep and heed His law, O oh, praise the Lord.
0: It's not so much about Joseph as it is about the Lord and his faithfulness. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.